Giants fan, what is going on? You're listening to another episode of New York Giants Flush. We have with us a special guest tonight, Mike Tanier. Mike is currently a sports writer for Football Outsider, and he has previously contributed to Bleacher Report and as well as the New York Times. Mike, thank you so much for joining us here tonight. We really appreciate your company. My pleasure. Greetings from Eagles country, I guess. But uh, we're 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 all we're all brothers and sisters here. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You seem like a good one, no doubt about it. And I, I hope Eagle fans down there say that about us as well. But you know, again, you 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 have so much extensive knowledge and and, and background in this industry, uh, and pretty interesting experience. And you know, we're glad you can come on with us tonight and give us kind of like an unbiased view uh, of of what's going on with the Giants, uh, what the Giants should do. Uh, this offseason and moving forward. Um, and, you know, again, as uh, uh, somebody from Eagles country, per se, you know, you're looking at us, you know, what, what if the Giants did something, uh, you know, good this offseason, it wouldn't work too well for the Eagles, right? So <laughs> it, it's more of like a, a worrying point for you. Granted, I don't think you have to worry about the Giants too much. Um, you know, I, I uh, think there's a lot of things that they would have to do in order to be a formidable team. But nonetheless, you know, here we are right now. It's April 19th. We're about a week away uh, from the draft. Thank which, God. Let's get that yeah. over with now. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and Zane, Zane and I were actually just talking about this earlier. It gets sickening after a while. I look at other people's you know, mock drafts. And, mm-hmm. The fatigue, you know, the fatigue just sets in. It's just, you know, the day the Super Bowl is over, there's two things happening. It's either the draft or free agency, and that is exactly. it. I, I, I'm going to tell you when you when you cover it, and I've been covering dra- the draft in various ways for almost 20 years now. This is like the end of the marathon where you're limping along because you've written everything, you've you've done mock drafts, you've you've done podcasts and things like that. And you're kind of repeating yourself so much that it's like the words stop having meaning anymore. Do you guys remember? I've been asking people this. Remember when the draft was May 8th, 9th, and 10th? Yes. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I don't actually, to be honest with you. What? How long ago would that have been? 2014, the year of Johnny Manziel and Jadavian Clowney. So imagine, so it's like two weeks from even where it is next week. So it'd be three weeks away still. So you're going around and around and around circles and and doing another mock draft and another mock draft. And when you talk about the goofy conversations we have, like we have goofy conversations (laughs) about these quarterbacks and all. Remember the conversations we were having about Johnny Manziel? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh gosh, it was it was torturous by the end. It was the happiest three days of my life. And then, and then even even during the draft, like all you know, the camera just on him the whole time. He's texting people, "You better draft me," or whatever yes. you know, whatever the word yeah. was at the time. It was like this is insane. What's actually happening is insane. Yeah, yeah, I, I was I was drinking the whole time, and <laughs> so <laughs> he might have been too. So we just uh, like to get a little bit of the uh, audience uh, input in there. Always got a shout out Tuto. Tuto is our resident Italian who yes. always, always watches live from Italy every <laughs> week. You always got to shout him out. Tuto's watching from Italy. We actually got one guy, Mark Thompson, who watches from Barbados for oh, most of our episodes. And, you know, we always say because of that, it's like, oh, we're an international brand because of those those two guys right there. Right. Um, it's, a, it's a worldwide podcast. Absolutely. Excellent. Absolutely. Excellent. But, so, Mike, I want to thank you again just for coming on. I actually reached out to you based off of an article you wrote, and that's how this kind of got started. I read this article, and I was you know what? This is a good, objective article. These are the people I want to hear from. And Mike was basically writing about 
the Giants' current state, the certain dilemmas they're in. And objectively, I agree with him, I would say, a good 95 to 98%. I don't, I don't think there was much I disagreed with, to be honest with you. Uh, but that's really where I reached out to Mike. And I was like, hey, can I get some of your expertise? Come come talk to the rest of the world about how we're viewed as opposed to, you know, the way we're constantly seeing or have been for the past decade of just stagnant play in all forms, you know, from top down, you know, Mara all the way down to players. Yeah, and, and that's it, especially over the last couple of years where you came out of the Eli Manning era. And, of course, you still look like a, a competitor every year. And I believe it was 2015 or 2016. You had a playoff run. 16. And then the Coughlin era finally runs, rolls to a stop. The McAdoo era starts out. And that was, that, calling that an era is kind of ridiculous. Of course, McAdoo's <laughs> making news uh, uh, today when he's announcing Sam Darnold is, is his qu- quarterback and taking it back a minute or two later. So this is the guy who they tasked with trying to transition away from Eli. So obviously he wasn't the right choice. And then finally you get to the Dave Gettleman and then uh, Joe Judge comes in and it goes from kind of a tragedy to a comedy a little bit for the Giants along the way. And the, the stagnation and the when are we going to get back to greatness turned into what what are they going to do next? What are the Giants going to do next? It's going to be ridiculous. Are they Are they... They're going to make do something goofy at the draft. Is Gettleman going to say something? Are they going to overspend? Uh, what's Joe Judge going to do? Is he going to you know kneel on the or run a quarterback sneak on third and nine? What's happening next? And you know by the end of that, sweeping that all away was a positive for the Giants. And now the, the opinion is, you've got the brain trust you run, want right now. People are excited around the league about Joe Sheen and Brian Dayball coming in and bringing some of the things the Bills have. But it's a process, and the process probably starts next Thursday with getting those two first-round picks. But it's a process that's going to look kind of ugly probably in 2022. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, well, let me ask you this. I mean, if you had picks five and seven and you got the job uh, as the general manager of the Giants, uh, what would you be looking to do with the picks? Are you a fan of, you know, we have a serious issue with the O-line, maybe go, you know, definitely at least one, but two O-line. Do you think you should go O-line edge? Or are you just a fan of the classical best player available? Me and Zane kind of lean towards BPA. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but somebody like Craig on our podcast is very just heavy. Like, look, let's just get the offensive line issue out of the way. So what are your- I, I, will Zane, say, I will say this real quick. When you have as bad of a roster as we do, BPA and need match up no matter what. That's you really true. can't lose. Like, we That's need it. everything. Uh, it's not a position where, like, you know what? We don't need this. I can't think of a position where I can say we don't need this. Right. I, right. I can't name one. Right, maybe at left tackle, but then you need your right tackle. Right, and that would still bring an overall, you know, tackle being an issue. Matt Pitt yeah. hasn't worked out towards ACL. You don't have a swing tackle. You don't have a right tackle. Soldier's gone, so you're back just in that boat of. I, I think need, we're playing ourselves with some of these guys that are like rotational pieces that we're we have now convinced ourselves because the Giants have gotten so bad, Mike, that we convinced ourselves that these are like the the, the B level stars, the guys right. that are okay and can kind of seal seal the deal for the time being. But like it, it's. It's simply yeah. not. And this is something that a lot of Giants fans have to overcome with their views of players like Tay Crowder. Um, yeah. I, I mean, this can kind of go on right now. Yeah. <laughs> and and there's guys who can be good little pieces with things around yeah. them. But the idea, like, this is the building block because he had that good game once. He had that interception once. You have to get past that. Um, and another thing you said, best player available versus, you know, what's available in the draft. Edge and offensive tackle are two of the strongest positions in this draft when you're picking. So that's one way to go. I'm, I did a three-round mock draft at Football Outsiders, I believe, last week mm-hmm. or maybe the week before. And I mocked Evan Neal, offensive tackle, Alabama, and Sauce Gardner, cornerback from Cincinnati, 
to the Giants. And neither is an earth-shattering pick. If you look at mock drafts, I know Schrager did one and Sauce was one of the guys. I think he picked – it was Cross and Sauce. He had the other offensive linemen in there. And that's a common combination to send to the Giants. So that's great that you can't go wrong with that. You're going to solidify two positions right away. One thing I talked about in my article, trading down would be an option. But the cap situation is so foobar for this year that if you trade down and get like the Saints call, we got two first round picks, the Saints call, the Eagles call, we have two first round picks, move up. You might not be able to fit all three first round picks into your cap situation right now. So what could happen is a team could call and say, we've got a 2023 first rounder that we're willing to give you if we can get up because we want Kenny Pickett or something like that. We'll give you some picks next year. We'll give you some later round picks this year. That's the kind of thing that Joe Sheen should be looking at as a possibility if that doesn't materialize, take two awesome players and, and, and walk away. Yeah. I, th I think it's funny because a lot of fans forget that you do have to factor in uh, rookies into the cap. And, and, yes. and a lot of fans are, have the misconception that they're, they're like immune to it. Right. You sell the cap first and then you go draft whoever you want because you don't have to worry about it. I've like, seen, I'm sorry. I've seen mock drafts that are just so stupid where you trade back and get 40 players and people then you can actually sign 40 players. Right. I've, got, I've yeah. got people drafting, trading up and they end up with like, five first-rounders. Who the hell is going to sign that? Right, that's not, right. It's not even remotely realistic. It's the Madden AI trade, you know? Right, I right. offered a Madden it would work, so therefore yeah. put it in my mock draft simulator. And, and again, like the first-round picks, it's a relatively expensive contract, especially if you're up in the first half of that. Yeah. Um, you know, you're prorating numbers in seven-digit numbers, not like seventh-round picks where you can kind of sign them for free. And the Giants, again, Gettleman left them in such an unusual situation they can't even really do what the Saints did this year. The Saints just like, oh, let's just extend everybody's contract five more years, and then we got plenty of money left, et cetera. The Giants can't even do that. They can't even extend these guys' contracts because of the way they're shaped. And that's why you're hearing things, and you see Bradbury did not show up for OTAs today. Mm -hmm. Bradbury, a good, solid player, a guy player you probably want to keep, ideally, on the trading block because if you trade him, first of all, you can get the pick. Secondly, you can clear some of his cap space away. And you can make more moves. You can bring guys in. You can sign your picks. His his cap savings is basically what you need to offset our rookie class. That's basically yeah. a one-to-one, -one, which is why they're looking to move him. I yeah. think he's a good player. Yeah. Um, now, does he fit Wink 100%? No, but good players make it work regardless. And I would love to keep him. His yeah. cap is the only issue. There's nothing else. He's young. He's talented. Uh, I think he's tied for the second most passive defense of the last three seasons. It's not like he's a slob at all. At he all. didn't have the greatest season, but who did on this team? Who had a good season? He had and a he's, yeah, and he's a guy they so. probably want to keep. The, the Bills guys, you know, they know him. Uh, I think going back to Carolina, I, th I think Dave and some of the staff were there at Carolina. They know him. They know he can play. But he has the actual trade value. And that's the other thing. You have to trade somebody somebody else wants. He's good, so somebody else wants him. There are guys that I know Giants fans have a very inflated opinion about their trade value. You're running back, for example, that you're probably not going to get a lot of on the open market. Whereas in Bradbury, you can get something back that's of value. Right. Premium position. And I think one thing that's even hurting part of that trade factor is forget the salary part. He's only got one more year. What right. team wants to you know, put in for that kind of a commitment? Yes. Who, who's the all-in team? The all-in team is going to look for it. But yeah. there's very few teams like that. It would be guys that are championship level, you know. Maybe yeah, they're chasing. That's why can't. That's why Kansas City gets brought up. You know, Kansas City gets brought up because they're in that window. They got the money. They have the need. I said it the other day. Um, if you go look at their DB room, I've never heard of any of these guys. <laughs> well, Jarius Sneed. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, Bradbury would be like. 
bringing in Prime Dion for them in comparison. Last year they had DeAndre Baker in the yeah. cornerback room. He's a guy Giants fans know real well. Was oh, involved yeah. in that poker game thing. I don't even want to like speculate what that God was. God knows what like, it was. Yeah, I'm not sure what it was. It doesn't seem like it was as bad as it sounded at first, ultimately. But Baker kind of washed out of here. He was a Gettleman pick who wasn't really ready. They needed him right away. He wound up playing for Kansas City last year. So, yeah, that's a team that could come up and say, we can make an offer. We'd like a veteran cornerback. We need the guy right away. And they, have the, and, and they have the draft capital, right? They just made that Tyreek Hill trade. They yeah. picked up a bunch of fourth, fifth, thirds. And I'll take any of them, to be honest with you. I mean, Giants fans are a place that if a team says, I'll give you a six, you should just say yes, take it and walk away. Right. Yeah. It's better right. than nothing, right? Take, take the chance of getting somebody who might – Succeed. You either you either cut him and lose him for absolutely nothing, or you just get something and maybe you hit on a flyer. Who knows? And the other day, we even heard Joe Shane actually come and say, you know, maybe we extend him. You know, they're playing all angles here. Is there truth to it? Who knows at this point? I don't know. Right. Like, it's a tricky extension, but I think they could work something out yeah. potentially. Yeah. yeah. But I wanted to ask you something about this because, you know, we're talking about the draft, and you actually have experience that says that you, you've gone on the combine and scouted before. I wasn't a team scout. I've been a I've been a media scout for twenty sure, years. Sure. Yeah, I've been I've been going to the combine since I guess two thousand twelve, something like that. I, I missed the COVID year, but I was there this this right. year. So I've done a lot. I've done a lot of senior bowls, et cetera. And and what exactly is that experience like? Because there's just so many, so few people in the world that get to experience that. If you have the money, you can go to the Super Bowl. You can mm-hmm. go to the draft. Unless you have that pass, you can't go to the NFL Combine. Right. Right. By day, it is nonstop interviews of players and coaches and GMs. Sometimes formal ones on the podium. Sometimes you get them on the side for a couple of minutes. And you're, it's a whirlwind, like six or seven hours straight of doing interviews. By night, the freaks come out at night. There's only a handful <laughs> of bars in all of Indianapolis. There's only a handful of really like high-end ones like St. Elmo's, which is legendary, like Prime 33, which you'll probably hear stories about. And the witching hour comes. And you have to kind of make it to the witching hour, whether it's midnight, 1 a.m., because all of the agents come out to have their cocktail. All the coaches come out to have their cocktail. All the general managers come out to have the cocktail. And that's where you see the NFL, how deals get done for real. So that is where if you're hanging around the right bar, you will actually see the contract getting done on like a cocktail napkin in the corner or hear an agent and a high profile owner shouting across the bar angrily at each other uh or that's awesome people's. that's absolutely and, awesome uh, yeah while, while an agent whispers something in your ear that he only wants he wants you to hear he's not telling you the truth he's telling you the thing you the gossip you want to spread and luckily for me i've usually had too many cocktails to remember the gossip <laughs> so you don't see me on twitter saying the next day i heard a rumor that this player wants eight figures or something like that because i have forgotten by the next morning when you get up and you interview the players again and we're going to Vegas this year for the draft, if I'm not mistaken, Mike. So, I mean, it might be a little even more difficult to counteract the the, uh, the temptations there in Sin City. Right. Well, that's, that should be nothing but fun. It's trickier there because you don't get, like, scoops and things like that. If you try to interview the players, if you interview the Giants guys, you know, they'll, they'll get them in front of the media and they'll be like, I'm happy to be a member of the New York Giants. I'm excited to be there. But it's a great opportunity to get out with some other fans, play some bets, have a couple drinks, and really – drink deeply of the experience i went to a couple drafts when they were in new york back in the day radio city yep and it was it was always it was always a lot of fun mm-hmm. so quick question you know just quick quick off topic because you've had so many who are some players that you were scouting where you just knew and it translated right and who are some players where you looked at you like this guy's got something but then just fizzled <laughs> i have so many fizzles 
that that I I don't even know where. Who's to your do. biggest Who's your biggest fizzle that just pops right into your head that you were like that guy's gonna be something that you're like oh god. No. Whoever was the Giants probably drafted him. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I don't remember that side, but I remember oh this guy's not that good. It was Michael Thomas, the wide receiver for the Saints. Oh, okay. <laughs> What's everybody seeing him? I, I mean, he's fine. He's okay. He's like a, a number two, number three, number four receiver in my book, and just was completely wrong on that. I, I made the mistake on the other end so many times I don't even know where to start. If you start popping names out, I might be yeah, I, I thought Johnny Manziel was going to be a player. I think a lot of us did. I was mm-hmm. I was pretty comfortable with that. I thought that the personal problems were overblown and they probably weren't to be honest. Um a guy that I saw and it's like I love this guy and it has clicked. So we're going back to Ohio State now on wide receiver is Terry McLaurin, Washington Commanders receiver. They brought him out on a rainy day at the Senior Bowl. And he looked great at the Senior Bowl. He was like a special teamer for Ohio State. He was like their number three receiver. Paris Campbell was their star. And somebody else who I think is having a nice little career was their star. They bring him out for like a small group interview on a rainy day. And he sounds like he is running for Senate. He is out there and he is explaining the program. And he's talking about what made Urban Meyer great, which means he's you know pretty good at making stuff up, I suppose. And talking about everything about football and the position. I'm like, this kid is brilliant and he's an absolute leader and everything like that. And I, and I thought maybe he'll be something. Maybe he'll be like the star of the special teams. Maybe he'll be like Matthew Slater for the Patriots if he gets in the NFL because he's got his act together. Blows up the combine, comes in, and obviously he's a wide receiver. One, he's one of the stars mm-hmm. of the NFL right now. And that was one of the big things where I was glad I was there for that interview because once I heard the guy and heard what he was about, I realized he's going to rise up the boards. Yeah. He also didn't show up uh, for uh, uh, Washington. Yes. He's, he's right. one of the current holdouts. Yes. Him and Debo Samuel and AJ Brown, kind of like a trio of mini holdouts right now. They're, they're looking for their, everybody's going to be looking for their Devontae Adams contract. Uh, yeah starting with Tyreek Hill and now with these guys who are due for their contracts. Yeah. I mean, do you think there's a lot of concern fans should have when they see players not showing up to these off season work? I mean, cause I'm looking at the Bradbury ones, obvious that has to do with the contract. Like you're saying, I, I would feel concerned about that. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to make about Tony though. From what I heard yeah. today is Tony hasn't shown up and I don't know if I should be worried or if there's, there's something else or if he works out in Florida, I, I don't know. Yeah. If it's just a contract thing, it's just a contract thing. And day one of minicamp, they'll be there. Um, I, Tony, it's not a contract thing. And he's a guy who there were always whispers. He wasn't hundred percent with the program. So I don't necessarily get that in general though. Voluntary is voluntary. So if a veteran doesn't show up, it's like, well, they're veterans, a guy who is supposed to be still making his name from stuff. We know how it is. It's like, you're supposed to be right. there because you have a starting opportunity because you have not established yourself because there's new coaches. Why are you not there? Now, maybe he shows up tomorrow, et cetera. And it's like, Oh, I was getting married or whatever. It's still a little bit odd. Guys I worry about who weren't involved with the Giants is I'm hearing the number of names that didn't show up for Arizona Cardinals uh, OTAs. And, again, it's voluntary, but, you know, Kyler Murray's not there. Murray's the big one, yeah. And that's that's contract-based. But this is a team that looks like they're going to go to the playoffs and fall apart. It falls apart every year. Maybe you want to show up every day for work and show that you're serious and committed to not having that happen again. And a bunch of guys just sort of opting out and saying, oh, we're working out on their own. That would worry me as a coach and a general manager about the direction of that roster. Yeah. I hear it because I, I do feel like, you know, if you're like you said, you're that 24 year old guy that's, you know, yeah. hasn't really quite proven himself. You, you right. kind of have to be there, earn your stripes. If you're Michael Strahan, you yes. can skip the entire, you know, summer or whatever he did. Right. He paid $250,000, whatever it was. He's just like, yeah, screw it. And quite honestly, he earned it at that point. Absolutely. He was a whole it, was, it was OC in 2011. I was there for some of that camp. OC was 
upset about his contract, Umanura, and doesn't show up until like he's on the side riding a stationary bike and, and uh, during the entire workouts, and then comes in and, and, and blows it up and help and helps the team win a Super Bowl in 2011. So right, you don't worry about that. And you, we like to say voluntary is voluntary. You can't hold it against these guys. I was a school teacher years ago. There was all mm-hmm. kinds of things like showing up for the football games and and and, and you know coming in late and staying you know, com- coming in early and staying late to do tutoring. It was all voluntary. Yeah, if you've been teaching 35 years, you want to go home, you go home. You're a young teacher, earn it, show it. That's that's what we all have to do in all of our professions. And yeah, some of these football players do have to and, do and come learn it, right? There's stuff you don't know yet. There's a learning curve involved as well that you should, you know, how to be a professional, how to work around the how to deal with different people. Like I said, new regime. So, yeah. you know, Kadarius Tony's a bit of a wild card. I did see a video too of him working out on his own, which is fine. A lot of players do it, no problem. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there is that whole aspect of Maybe you should be here. Maybe, maybe I don't know any better. That's fine. That's I'm not you. No worries. Not personal, but you know, new guys coming in. I would feel like you would want to be there. Like, let me go check out this new coach and be like, hey, what do you have for me? Like, yes. how are you gonna use me? Because the yes. old guy didn't know how to. Right. I would like for you to. Right. Look at me. I'm this guy who could be a wildcat quarterback, and I can do all these trick plays and things like that. I want to see your playbook. I want to talk to you. I want to get yeah. to you're my new boss. You're all well, my new boss. Well, guess what? I have some suggestions. Here's what I could do really well that they didn't want to hear about. Maybe you yeah. want to hear about it. So yeah. I'm, I'm not, you know, again, that's me. I'm outside looking in. I have no idea. Right. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's one that uh, the talent. We saw the flashes. Very few flashes because, again, there was injuries. It was COVID. Yeah. It was hold that nine. So I hope he's healthy. Um, there's no doubt about the talent. The flashes I saw were very, very exciting. But you know, it is one of those things where I, you know, I just just want him. I just want to know he's here. If that makes sense. Yeah, that that's it. And like, you shouldn't, please, folks, don't go on Twitter and rip players and things like that. Yeah, but no, if you, no. if, it's okay to wonder in your back of your mind saying, "What's what's this about? Why isn't this guy doing what so many other players have chosen to do?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I'm, I'm with all of you on that one. Okay. <laughs> Right. Uh, well, I mean, look, looking forward to the 2022 season. If you actually look at uh, Mike, both the Giants and the Eagles' schedule, it's relatively easy. We're not playing. I mean, uh, we we the Giants have to play the Eagles and the Cowboys, right? Two playoff teams. But the only aside from them, and no offense to the Eagles, they're not one of the more formidable playoff teams. As it is. It's just right. the Titans and Packers. Th- this is pretty easy, and for the first time in a while, I do feel like. The Giants have an opportunity um, to to uh, you know excel a little bit better just because of the schedule softness. But like, look, I mean, if they're a bad team, they're not going to win no matter what. There's no doubt about it. Right. Uh, but I mean, what do you think? Because I know the Eagles have must have a relatively similar schedule, except for perhaps uh, slightly better teams uh, in the uh, NFC non-divisional uh, games. Now, do do the NFC East teams get the Souths, AFC South and NFC South? Is that what happened? Are we getting – are both of them getting the uh, the Colts, Jaguars? I think uh, they – Yeah, it's got to be the AFC South. There's no doubt about it because we're playing the Titans and right. the Jaguars, and I know that. And if we're playing them, we're playing the Texans and the, uh, and the Colts too. Right, because football outsiders are starting to run the numbers. And if you get the two Souths – that's where you get the Panthers, and that's where you get the Jaguars, and that, that's where you get the Texans um, and, and the Falcons, who might be the worst team in the Wait, NFL. We just played them last year. No, we, we just played all those NFC South teams Oh, last okay. Year. So maybe this is the South and somebody else. I think it's the North. I think we're playing the North this year. Okay. I, I, I know we're playing the Packers, and if we're playing the yeah. Packers, there's no way we would have played it because we were at the same level in the division because 
They're way better than the Giants. Are. So you get you get Lions and Bears teams that look very yeah. beatable, and the Vikings could fade at any time. And you've got a Packers team that you look at and you say, "Yeah, that's that's your that's your that's your thing." I, I know Football Outsiders were running preliminary numbers, and again, it's before the draft, and the Giants have two first round picks, and that's going to change things. Giants have one of the weakest projections right now on on paper, and I don't have it in front of me. And I wouldn't if I quoted a number right now, Aaron Schatz would would murder me. Um, but like it's it's the Falcons at the very bottom of most of the projections. And then the Panthers are down there and a couple of the usual suspects in the AFC at the bottom, the giants are in that group. They're in that group. That's like, like in that six win projection thing. Well, I, I got to say, I mean, one of the biggest issues facing the giants and part of this, I I, I feel bad. I've been tweeting about him this morning. You know, he never really got dealt a great uh, uh, foundation for his development. Right. But Daniel Jones, I mean, I I personally feel like if, if he's going to, the only way he can prove himself to be the Giants guy in the future and get that next contract, yeah. he'd literally have to have a Pro Bowl caliber season. That, I mean, that's that's literally it at this point. Zane, you could disagree with me. I don't know what your thoughts are, but I don't think average is going to cut it for a long-term deal for this guy. Yeah, Look at, look at what happened just now in the NFL a couple of weeks ago. Deshaun Watson just got a $250 million guaranteed contract. That was insane. Yeah. Which is, which is, which is bonkers, and we probably don't even want to get into all of that, but – you know, a couple of years ago, the Eagles were like, Carson Wentz, yeah, he's good enough. Let's hand him this many millions of dollars. And they regretted it. And the Rams said, uh, Jared Goff, yeah, he got us to the Super Bowl, even though we know that he was, you know, just a product of the system. Let's give him a couple hundred million dollars. And, and uh, they regretted it. Now it's going to be 20 plus million guaranteed. Nobody's going to yeah. give that. Not even Mara on his like most excited, I think this is Eli 2.0 day is going to give 200 million dollars guaranteed to daniel jones unless he takes that josh allen level leap and frankly it's year four you kind of have to make that leap in year two and year three right so you want to see progress there and i think he'll be he'll be given a fair shot if we see progress but the progress has to be considerable it can't be like oh he worked his way up to being a top 20 quarterback now and stayed healthy it's got to be like he worked his way up to having the season that we've all been talking about there's no statistical indicator right now. I'm afraid that says that Daniel Jones is going to make that leap. And one thing at football outsiders, Aaron Schatz did is he ran some similarity scores statistically uh, for Daniel Jones and say, okay, this is a guy who had a couple of bad years and you throw in the bad supporting cast and coaching changes. Who's similar statistically came up with Rick mirror who may be before your time from the Seahawks back in the day and Joey Harrington uh, from the lions. lions. Back in the day. I remember Joey Harrington. Yeah, and, and that's not good company to be in when you're no. running similarities because they all, their fourth year, they kind of did some good stuff, kind of did some bad stuff, and the teams were like, it's it's too late. It's time to move on. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I'm just – sorry, I'm not going to beat the, the Daniel Jones drum. It is what it is. You know, uh, we're all kind of in the same whole wait and see, and the only wait and see is, is there anything more to what we have seen? That's yeah. really the only wait, right? Otherwise – it is what it is. Now he's gotten the turnovers down, but that's also the product of basically a very vanilla and poor <laughs> offense. It wasn't. It wasn't because he necessarily got better. It's just the offense just yeah. stopped throwing the ball down the field. Stop doing anything. But, yeah. yeah. So I mean, a, a lot of that was also you know purposefully done. Um, he still does things that I don't love. You know, sticks to his first read and he just eyeballs. He stares down the receiver. Not mm-hmm. good. He definitely had bad luck, and that bad luck has now moved on to Jacksonville. Evan Ingram. Um, <laughs> No, no, Evan Evan Ingram is great. He's one of the best. He's, he's a he's a he's a pros pro, and he actually was one of the better ones to always, um, you know, take 
takes that podium and, and holds his accountability. Uh, he, yeah. just, he struggles with the drops. They'll, they'll yes. really, the drops hurt him. Uh, and for some reason, his drops weren't just like the, it went through my hands. It was a pop-up drop that always led to the interception. That was big for him. Yep. I think, Usually uh, when I he's open over the middle, 20 yards down the field, running up the seam by himself, that ball would correct, carry him off of his hands and right. float in the air as all the safeties could get And there. I'm sure football outside probably even has something like that that shows who's you know directly involved with what. And I think Evan Ingram, either last year or the year before, was directly involved with, I think, eight or nine of the interceptions. Right. That Daniel Jones had out of like 14. Balls would bounce off his hand. Because yeah. he was a receiving tight end, but he wouldn't actually receive the ball. So at that point, he just looked like he was a receiving tight end. Right. So that one player was involved with 60 to 70% yeah. of one quarterback's interceptions. That's insane. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I'm rooting for Daniel Jones, as anyone should. But at the same time, I, I just don't know. I think he's got the ability to be a top 15 quarterback at best. So somewhere between maybe like that 12 to 15 mark. But I think that's probably as good as it's going to get with him. Dane, what, what, real quick, what's the floor for you for Daniel Jones' production to prove that he can get an additional contract with the Giants? Oh, uh, statistically, I don't care. Show me wins. That's the biggest issue we're missing. And show me some of that. Statistically, I don't care if it's 3,500 or 4,000, right? I, I don't know what that really moves the needles if he ends up losing. Like, what's, what's the point? I, I can throw for empty cal- – it's like empty calories, right? I can have the empty yeah. calories, and it is what it is. But I do want to see 25-plus touchdowns. That's a must. Yeah, you, you, don't want to, you, you don't want to see, oh, well, you know, he lost 35 to 17, but he had, you know, yeah, a 400 yards and a touchdown. Yeah, yeah, late in the game, fourth quarter, and he's dropping Robert's the ball underneath. Yeah, yeah, so show, show me show me 25 passing touchdowns, five rushing touchdowns, the yards I'll leave up there, and give me 12 or less interceptions. And show that me some drive. Like Just show me that he's good. Like, yeah, show me some consistency. Show me the third down ability. Show me those kind of things. But more importantly, show me some some wins. That's what I want to see. <laughs> and that may be a conversation. Aside from that, I just I don't know. And, and one thing that happens with players like him, we can talk about his you know his ability, and we talk about he he's been a pros pro behind the scenes from all accounts. Sometimes the damage is just ju- done, and you say, oh well, finally he's going to have a better coordinator, and he's going to have a better coach, and we're going to get a be- at least one better offensive lineman, or maybe two. The damage is often already done, and you have a guy whose bad habits have been ingrained uh, and isn't going to be able to make the changes he needs to make in time to achieve his potential. And that's that's a fear you have after a couple of years of Jason Garrett and a couple of years of Evan Ingram and this offensive line that was tissue paper, which can mess up a quarterback's clock in the pocket and have them rushing everything they do because – now if they have three seconds to throw in their brain, it's still a panic, and they only have one second to throw. And, and yeah. you know what's crazy, Mike, is how many years we've started off with a bad offensive line as it is. Yeah. And the Giants are actually statistically in the last decade the most injured team. Yes. When you see the offensive line that's already bad get injured and the yeah. backups come in, I mean, you get to the end of the years here with the quarterbacks. I mean, they're, they're just getting absolutely obliterated behind the Giants. There was one game, and it was the funniest thing in the world. I remember who was calling the game uh, on the broadcast, but – I think we were down to like the fourth guard at left guard. Yeah. He he came in. I think it was Wes Martin. He came in, and the announcers didn't even know who he was. Didn't <laughs> refer to him. Didn't change his name. Just waited for the other guard to come in. But they had no idea who had even come in. That's the kind of position we were in, where even I didn't know who he was. I looked it up. I was like, when did we sign this guy? And he was right. apparently just somebody they picked up off the street like two weeks ago. And I was like, oh my god, this is where we are. 
Right. It's always like, oh, the defensive tackle is preparing to play guard because that's the next right. guy in. Right. Or the tight end has to move over or something. Right. Or, you know, any fan in the any fan in the front row that's 300 pounds or over, please, please, uh, you know, meet us in the locker room. Yeah, like, right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. If you're if you're angry and you weigh this much and you're this tall, give us a call. We're, right. we're interested, you know, but it's it's been it's been that bad, you know, uh, again, from the roster top to bottom. The starters aren't what we thought they would be. The depth is just like uh, non-existent, if you will. Right. Um, so, I mean, they've made better moves. I think all Joe Shane has done is try to get something in the trenches going, which will at least breed competition. It'll just be nice to at least let people try to win a job as opposed to, hey, you know what? You just go out there and do your thing. Yep. Don't worry about it. Just, yeah. just go ahead and do it. Real quick, we got a little input from uh, Craig right now, the guy who runs this. He's down in the Bahamas. He's enjoying probably a delicious tropical cocktail. Uh, and you know, he's tuning into the show, which is great, uh, which leads him to believe why he couldn't be on right now. But you know, that's a question for another time. <laughs> Craig, your question is, uh, I need to know if the Giants are drafting a guard to compete with Lemieux. Um, Mike, he, Lemieux is one of our worst guard, or, you know, I mean, one, one of our weaker rotating guards, if you will. Right. Another guy the Giants fans wanted to succeed kind of looks iffy as to whether or not he he will. Uh, let me ask this. I mean, what are your opinions on him, and, and how high do you draft an interior lineman? Um, well, one thought I had earlier in uh, in the draft season was that they might go after center. They might go for Tyler Lindebaum from yeah. Iowa. I think is a heck of a center. I don't think they're going that direction. They got Feliciano there. That's probably the stopgap that they're bringing in. I haven't done a lot of in-depth scouting on Lemieux. Frankly, all the the guards run together for the New York Giants over the last couple of years because, again, like you said, it's been a revolving door. Um, in terms of, I did not mock a uh, a guard to the to the um, Giants, but I think it's something they could pursue in the second round or third round. I see no problem for a team that has this many needs on the offensive line getting a guard down there. And there's a couple of guys who would be available. One name that sticks out is Darian Kennard, probably somebody you're hearing a lot out of out of Kentucky. Oh, a road grader. And he's the kind of guy you can say he's an NFL starter for the next eight or nine years, but he's available in the second, maybe even the third round because people don't prioritize guards. Another guy that's down there is Dylan Parnum. If you're looking for somebody who's more of a you know sleeper, uh, Cole Strange out of Tennessee Chattanooga, this is a guy who's, again, big, strong, ornery face the lower level competition so you might have an, a, a ramp up there somebody who projects as an nfl starter the the buccaneers had a, a lot of success with ali marpet before he retired for four or five years as, as one of yeah, those. he was a d3 player right yeah he, he was d3 tennessee chattanooga i don't think is d3 i think i think i no. that's either no, uh, fcs or uh it may even be in the sunbelt by, by now i have even lost track of that but these guys are out there and again second round third round can't go wrong with the Giants because, like you said, there's probably pretty much a hole everywhere. I wound up in my mock giving them Arnold Ebiketti to get an edge rusher, this guy out of Penn State. There's so many edge rushers in the draft, big, strong, bendy guys, but they're not quite the level of Hutchinson. They'd be around in the second round, third round. And I wound up giving them uh, Jeremy Ruckert at tight end uh, out of uh, Ohio State. Um, and this is because, again, you have to replace Evan Ingram right now. I think Ricky Seals Jones is the only guy there. On a one-year deal, who's also off injured, so yeah, yeah. And here, and 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 Ruckert is a guy gets off the uh, air, airplane, looks like the star of the team, has a little bit of a Jimmy Graham vibe in terms of the pure athleticism. Hopefully, he can block a little better than Jimmy Graham. But Jimmy Graham was a All Pro for several years. Somebody who has that kind of upside. 
I, I forget who I put at the – I think I gave him a running back, too, in the third round. You can interchange any of those. If you want a guard, you can put a yeah. guard in there. You can't go wrong. Yeah, yeah and I also like uh, Jamari Sawyer. Is that how you say his last yeah. name? From Georgia, the guard from yes. Georgia. Oh, um, yeah, I got to- I got to interview him at the. He's uh, another. The, he's another guy that you would be able to catch in the third, possibly that because we have the top of the fourth, right? So the top of the fourth, back into the third type scenario, if you will, you might be able to sneak him into. And you have a top of the third, right? And and we have two have in the third. Yeah, we have top two top of the third, third, back of the back of the third, and then yeah. the fourth round is a high pick because obviously you know our record stunk, so obviously all the picks are high <laughs> picks. I think for Sailor, you got to get top of the third, but you can get him there. And that's a plug-and-play guy. This is obviously a huge program guy, high-character guy. I got a chance to talk to him. Nothing fancy. You're not going to move him to the left tackle and be like, oh, well, this is an all-pro there. But straight-ahead, drive blocker, smart in pass protection, can do all those little things well, comes from a championship program. He would be a heck of a choice there. And you could put him right next to his former teammate on the left side. You put him right next to Andrew Thomas. He's another Georgia guy, right? So right. you can set those two up. You move Glowanowski to right guard. Now all of a sudden, you're cooking with a little bit of gas here, right? You've got some <laughs> professionals. you got yeah. something to work with. You draft that right tackle. All of a sudden, you can look to be average at least, right? You can at least be like, put me in the middle. We yeah. can't all be as lucky and keep getting these Eagles O-lines, which are just phenomenal year in <laughs> and year out, man. That's the thing that keeps you guys afloat. You remove that, and Jalen Hurts is a sitting duck. Right, Well, and that's it. Part of it is you have Kelsey, who I think is starting to look like a Hall of Famer at center after all the things he's accomplished over the years. Um, but And Lane Johnson, who's you know a, a pro bowler. But on the Eagles side, you take a, a, a Jordan Mulata. You take him in the seventh round. He's mm-hmm. this oddball square peg you know i, I remember I, I his first day i remember uh uh peters teaching him how to actually get into a stance and coaches helping him get his helmet on because right. that's how how raw this guy was and you just you stash him on the bench until you get an nfl starter and you get dillard and he doesn't work out but you created you said it competition at the positions so if you fail at dillard there's a mulata there who's been waiting and and there's always guys at guard like Herbig and stuff like that who are ready to step up as well. Hey, right. you're back. And, and, and we, we saw that right. issue and uh, not to pancake on Nate Soldier because he's just a great guy. So yeah. but from a professional standpoint, we had Joe Judge flat out and come say, yeah, he's there because I want him there. It had nothing to do with him being better than anybody else. Not that we had a lot of people. Right. But I mean, I would have at that point just rolled the dice with Matt Parrott. Sure as hell wasn't worse than Nate Soldier at that point. But yeah. Soldier was playing straight off of relationship. Nate Soldier was ready to retire. He and, came and back because Joe Judge called him and said, I'll give you this money. Come on back. He's like, okay, why not? Right, right. He had to have his his Patriots guy there. And, and remember, there was stuff with the coaching staff for the first year with Judge. It was all – Yeah, Colombo got fired. Remember there was that whole incident with yeah. Colombo? You all liked it at the time, though. People were, were cool with that. And actually, let's remember, Giants fans were big on Judge after that first year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, right. I mean, there, there's a little blame. I, I loved him after that first year. I thought he was better than McAdoo and Shermer. But then, you know, the next year comes around, you just see the same incompetence that, you know, you just started feeling like he was a used car salesman, giving the same speech every time. Yeah. Well, we're getting there. We got the fight. We got the heart. It's like, we don't want fight and heart. We want wins. Just win the freaking ball game. Yeah, I, I've, said, I've said this before. You brought up McAdoo. Mike, have you ever seen the Mighty Ducks movies by any it's chance? It's been years. It's been years. Okay. So Mighty Ducks 2. Gordon Bombay just goes crazy, right? Slick back hair, changes who he is. That's what Ben McAdoo did, right? Year yeah. one, Ben McAdoo, you had the oversized suit. He was himself. It worked, right? Just be right. yourself. Year two, you had the slick back hair, started talking differently. <laughs> the team lost him. Gordon, right. Gordon Bombay 2.0, and, and, it, and it didn't work necessarily. So it was just one of those scenarios where 
we just keep missing no matter what we do, right? right? GM, head coach, player, you name it. We're not hitting gold anywhere. And it seems yeah. like it's been ages. So that's kind of part of you know your article about the dilemma, right? What is the great reset at this point? One of the things you said is, don't do anything. That's actually the best thing you're doing is, yes. you know, clean house and slowly yes. do it right as opposed to keep making these antsy moves that just keep backfiring anyway. Right. And and that's it. And that's what these guys, they know they've got the time. They know they pretty much got a mandate to do it. So you're not seeing quick fixes. You're not seeing splashy moves. Again, you can see a trade to get another draft pick next year when there's more quarterbacks in the draft, when the cap situation is better, et cetera. You can see all of that. You're not – seeing some of the, the goofy stuff that you saw, frankly, from Gettleman, where, again, Bradbury and Martinez and some other good players came in at top dollar and later got, Galladay comes in at top dollar because he's just saying, well, now's the time we're going to compete. And it's like, you haven't fixed the offensive line. You haven't fixed anything along the thing. You can't just add $80 million worth of payroll and say, well, now we're a competitor. And, and, and Yeah, it was all top-heavy, right? It's just like yeah. any other company. If you run top-heavy and you have nothing but executives, well, who's going to do the work? Where, <laughs> right. where all the other employees. And same thing, you know, you bring in a Galladay and so say we're going to go for it, yeah. but you don't target him at all right. throughout the game. Like, there are so many games, you're looking at him and the ball's not even looking. So you're like, yeah. why did you bring him here? Why is he here? You can't because there's no time to throw. That's part of the problem, you know? And then there's the question of whether your quarterback is going to – Find him downfield when he has the time. And, Mike, this is kind of a weird thing that I have because it's very tough how to work with this because you have to make your team better, and for that you need talent. But I, I personally always fret over the idea of these monster contracts and hoping they pay off because I feel like they're always given to guys that have, you know, an unbelievable, you know, contract year. Right. And, and it's just very rare when I see, you know, these multi-million dollar contracts, except for a quarterback maybe that – Right. Pan out in the long run. Uh, I'm trying to think of some some recent ones. You, you see them on the team that's already kind of set, and you had the guy. I'm thinking of Stephon Diggs for the Bills, and it wasn't a, now it's a contract, but it was like the big trade and everything. Well, we've got most of the other pieces in place, and this is our value added. You know, the Rams can do things like that. We've got most of the other pieces in place. Oh, let's bring in Stafford. You mentioned well, they, they, players take pay cuts to play for the Rams. That's the one advantage that goes <laughs> really, really good. Them and the Patriots for a while there that right. nobody else can compete with in the free agency era. That's what makes it super, super difficult. But one of the questions we're dealing with right now, Devontae Adams is the best example of it. You handed him not just money, but two first, two, a first and a second round draft pick go back to the Packers to get Devontae Adams when you're the Raiders. How is that going to pay off for the Raiders? I mean, it's completely Super Bowl or bust, and this team does not look ready to compete in other areas to do that. So, you, especially it, on the defensive side, right? Where now Russell Wilson's in the yard, right? You, that, yeah. that division is stacked. Yeah. Right. But you didn't address the biggest thing, which is probably be defense. You, you didn't address the, and you, they brought in Chandler Jones on defense, but that, that's your top heavy. So, uh, in the wake of the Rams winning with their all in philosophy, you can see these sort of corny attempts to go all in like, yeah, we're the Raiders and we can go all in with Josh McDaniel and extend Derek Carr. And, and I think that the Dolphins did that a little bit to a degree, uh, even though they're not set up they're, they're They have problems on the offensive line, which they, they addressed a little bit in free agency, but bringing in Tyreek Hill. And I think the Browns are doing that a little bit with, with the Sean Watson. That only works if the everything's in place. And like, this is the absolute missing piece. And then you can get that kind of value out of it. Right. If, if you're the Jets or the Giants, it's not going to work. What I, what I think is best is, is if they go after 
foundational building blocks on, yeah. on defense and offensive right. line first through draft picks. And also and the one thing that you have to be really good at as a team is finding those under the radar free agents. The Giants actually were really good at this in the 2000s under Ernie Accorsi. He was excellent at finding those guys that, uh, you know, signed contracts that were under $10 million, but these right. players came down. And it's typically those guys that, you know, got hurt. And they looked at it and said, you know what? He, he, I know he's hurt, but I don't think it'll affect him that long. That's what the Giants have to do right now to get out of this. It's not going to take a, a multi-million dollar free agent. No. And you have to kind of identify the guys a year early. Uh, the yep. Bengals, I think, did it with Hendrickson, um, who, you know, had some good years for the Saints, but had not reached this upper echelon. So the Bengals go out and they bring in Hendrickson, and he has a great year for them and is a, a contributor to their, to their Super Bowl puzzle uh, last year. But they, they identified him bef- and they paid him well before he had exploded onto the scene. So you're not paying top dollar, absolute, absolute top of the market, top dollar for this guy. Not something the Giants are in any position to do anyway this year or, or, or next year, but it, yeah. it's, it's a question that every team has to face. And, and the smart teams don't make, don't frequently make these kind of moves. Yeah, and get but Gettleman made that mistake multiple times. Yeah. So that's one of the problems that we're just dealing with now. Right, you know? and that's exactly it. And again, Bradbury is a good player. You brought him in Absolutely. at the wrong time. Mar- Mar- Blake Martinez was a very, very good player. You brought him in at the wrong time. These guys were not ready to do anything except keep you around six and seven wins at this high premium price. And then you threw Galladay on top of it. I'm forgetting somebody else that they brought in on offense. They brought in Kyle Rudolph. I'm trying to remember somebody else last year. Just a lot of money getting paid kind of on wishful thinking for a team that wasn't ready to compete the way Gettleman. The, the last time I think we had a free agency spending spree that actually worked was that one year in 16. And that all yeah. season where we uh, Jerry re-signed yeah. Norris Jenkins, Olivier yes. Vernon, Damon Harrison. And that was just the de- – and the defense is the only reason we made the playoffs. Like the offense was – that's true. Future uh, action. Next year, Landon, Landon Collins was, I believe, a rookie, and he was yeah. like defensive yeah. player of the year. He had a monster rookie season, and that got us to eleven wins, and then the Packers shellacked us. And after that, it was just <laughs> that was the boat party. That was the boat party year. That, that was the boat party. Yeah. That was the boat, boat yeah. party. Odell. Year. Odell. Odell had a huge year, and Brandon Marshall was there, and Eli yeah. wasn't completely cooked yet, yeah. and it, it was fine. But like the mentality there, and that was still Tom Coughlin, was that we are still this championship caliber team because we still have Eli and a couple of the, I think JPP might have still been there and some of those other guys and let's try it and I don't fault them while Eli was still around with Cobble. Yeah, you go for, they went for broken didn't work that's fine right it, mean, did, it didn't work you shouldn't be still in the funk six years later that's right the there and there lies the issue right you're still in that window of you know we're still in the dumps well how well, that, that's why all these, like you said, you know, these top-heavy moves are – I mean, obviously, as fans, you're going to be excited because you want marquee players yes. because you assume production. You yes. don't want the marquee player because of the name. You're excited about the production. Like, right. oh, this will help this. And then when none of that happens, you're like, oh, wow, look, we're still trash because the main <laughs> issue, none of it worked. We can't get an O-line coach to actually get people to, right. you know, properly have technique. You're missing all these things, and you're just like, well, what are we supposed to do here? Yeah, and, and and again, I mean, what's funny about the Giants, you know, the the 2017 year was that turning point where the offense completely collapsed to a point of just ineptitude. The year before we got to the playoffs, but it was it was one of those things where the offense wasn't the ones getting us there. Right. 2017, just the offense was so bad um, that I mean, they literally couldn't put up points. The defense kind of backed off a little bit. That created this whole model. That along with the Odell interview, that that you know, there, there's mm-hmm. a bad culture problem. Okay. The Eric Flowers yeah. era at left tackle. 
Flowers is that left tackle. I mean, just right. so many future picks there in the mid 2010s for the Giants right. that just, you know, and it hasn't really gotten better. Like I'm not saying here it was like it was like, um, uh, you know, it was bad then. It's all fixed now. We we had, I'll call you know, it, it, we had Andrew Thomas a couple years ago, and that's really like the saving grace of our draft in the last few years, right? And even that started out incredibly rocky, and he turned it around and turned into a heck of a player. Thank, thank God, thank God, right. some some worked out. Thank you, Andrew well, Thomas. So You're great. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. But that's, that was the Gettleman factor for you, where he was out there. And, like, and again, Saquon was a stud in college, was a stud as a young player. You don't take a running back that early. And I, I know no. he had a great rookie year. I'm like, ha-ha, we showed you. He, look at this great rookie. You're seeing that now. That's why you don't do that. They did, they, they, did the, they did the Ezekiel Elliott, right? Uh, the Cowboys were the first one to take a, a running back that high. They took Elliott at four. And first couple is like, yeah, and now they can't do anything with that contract or trading, him. And they're trading Amari and yeah, because they extended him. Yeah. They're yeah, trading Amari Cooper away because you have to keep Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard's just as good a ball player in the backfield. You're rotating them, et cetera, and you're losing a marquee wide receiver that you need when you're the Cowboys and you're supposed to be the team that can walk away with the NFC East. And, and their offensive line. I mean, you and I can run behind that offensive line. <laughs> right. and- a couple of touchdowns, you know, it's and it, it benefited Zeke more than Saquon. Saquon's behind, been behind a battle line. And look, I was a fan at the time. I I, I completely regret. It. I, I regret the Giants taking Saquon. There's no doubt. The the, uh, the Cowboys are losing pieces on the offensive line, so they lost Leal Collins. Yep, mm-hmm. there you go, big hole at right tackle now. Right, they, they, so that he's now with the Bengals. They lost uh, uh, Connor Williams, who I think was one of their super subs on the line. Yep. And again, one of the reasons why is because you're paying Zeke right now, so you don't have this extra money to, to, to be maneuverable with your own free agents. Well, let me ask, uh, let me ask this then, in, in terms of the quarterback plan for the Giants. And actually, I want to – we got a little less than 10 minutes here. Yeah. Um, Jones, let's let's go into the the big assumption here that Jones is just not going to work out as our long long term quarterback. What what do you think? I mean, if you were the Giants general manager, what would the the long term solution be? How what, what you know? How do you uh, a bridge the gap if you have to, or you know, the I I feel like drafting a quarterback in any given year is you know the the luckiest teams are the teams that are absolutely terrible in the years where there is a great quarterback. Yeah. That's the ultimate luck. That and we got to hope that that happens with the Giants. And I don't even know what's going to do next year. That dream could come true for you in 2023. I haven't done – I know next year's quarterback class is stacked. It's okay. kind of like that sign that they put over the bar, free beer tomorrow. And when yeah. you come tomorrow, the sign's still there, free beer tomorrow. Every year we say next year's quarterback class is stacked. And I haven't done a lot of scouting, but I've watched enough Ohio State to know that – that young man's unreal. I watched enough uh, uh, Alabama to know that young man's unreal. Those guys are coming out. There's another ca- uh, group coming out behind them. The Giants could be that team next year. And one, one of the rationales behind saying, well, maybe if we trade down and get a first-round pick next year is, well, say the Giants finish sixth in the draft order, but they also have somebody else's first-round pick, then they could package up and yep, put the ammo. I think that's I think that's one of the real reasons for next year, not only Cap, but – being safe and having that ammo just in case. Worst right. case scenario, you get these position players and you win-win. You know, right. but best case scenario, you have the ammo to be able to make your next move. Right. So I don't worry about bridging till next year because Daniel Jones will be a professional about things uh, this year. And if Tyrod is there, if he gets injured again, well, and- there's there's your bridge, Mike. You know, they signed Tyrod for a very very smart two-year deal, not one. Yeah. He is your bridge as far as I'm yeah. concerned. 
You don't, right. pick, up the fifth, you don't pick up the fifth on Daniel Jones. If it doesn't work out, he walks, and you still got Tyrod. Right, and Tyrod's very bridgy. He'll come in and, and be the professional while the rookie figures things out, and, and that's that's his role. Yeah. Mike, if you had the two top two picks in the NFL draft, who are the best players in your opinion? Who would you take? My top players in this draft are Kayvon Thibodeau, the edge out of Oregon. Okay. I prefer him to Aiden Hutchinson. I don't understand this whole smoke screen about how Thibodeau isn't enough of a competitor or things like that. He's I see the draft boards supposedly, but I don't know if that's what GMs lots are saying. Of, uh, lots of word today that there's no way he's getting past the Jets. There's no way he would ever be get, getting past the Jets. He's too talented. They need the player too much. So much of this is smokescreen. I, I love him. I love Evan Neal, but I my prefer uh, uh, NC State offensive tackle, Iki Aquanu. Why, why is that? What, what is it? So now between these two or three, a lot of people are going back and forth and they have their reasons. What's your reason to, for, for the preference? Why would you take one over the other? Neil is mammoth. He is a great athlete and he's ready to play right away. Equanu, when he's moving down the field and blocking in space, he does things that look like world wrestling entertainment. Um, that he'll just like, like, shove guys out of the way and almost like body slam them to the ground, etc. I think he's an even better athlete. He's not quite as big. He kept moving at NC state from tackle to guard, to right tackle and back again. And you'll see him just sort of make a blunder. So maybe there's a little bit of, a, I don't know, that might not be the best Andrew Thomas uh, thing, but like he, he, he will need a little more seasoning, but the upside, he looks a little bit like Walter Jones to me at times. The uh, for you know the Hall of Famer for the Seahawks in his ability to move in space, move laterally, and things like that. That's what I like about Aquano. So he would probably be, him and Thibodeau are probably my top two players. And by the way, at Football Outsiders, we have something called the FO40, which is a countdown of the forty top players. We also have the forty top skill position players, the Fantasy Forty, and you can kind of see mostly my picks. Derek Klassen also has input there at Football Outsiders. Uh, so give me your thoughts on cross. What are your thoughts on cross? Rock solid, straightforward. I do not have him athletically in the same class as Equanu and Neil. Cause we were talking about absolute mountain of a man and Neil. And again, something out of the Marvel cinematic universe with Equanu, but cross is going to check all your boxes in terms of being good enough as a left tackle or as a right tackle. Technically very, very, very sound, very sound in pass protection. I don't know if you're looking at like the ultimate road grader there. But again, if the idea is you're going to bring this guy in, maybe he's going to start out on the right side. So there will be an adjustment there because we've learned from Penny Suel last year, left to right really is an adjustment. You get through that adjustment, you get somebody who's going to pass protect well. So again, I don't, the, the cross and sauce thing, the Schreiger thing, I don't hate it. I have a funny feeling Evan Neal might be there, and that would be my choice. He stole Cross and Sauce from me. I said that months ago on our first show. <laughs> I, said, I said Cross and Sauce first. Uh, if that happens, I want my credit, Peter. You you'll never see it. You'll never see this, Peter Schrager, but I said it first. <laughs> Copyright it, man. That's yeah. what you need, yeah. Oh, man. Mike, we're kind of coming up uh, to the hour here, and, yeah. and you know, one of the last questions I wanted to ask you is, let me just tell you this. from And, and for any fans out there that don't realize this, Mike Tanier is an Eagles fan. We can all forgive that. You seem like a very respectable guy, you know. As an Eagles, I grew up in Philadelphia territory, and it was brutal growing up, man, because this is like, you know, the the miracle, the Meadowlands. I have to come home, go to school the next time. It's absolutely miserable. Um, and I, I, hey, time out. Time, which miracle the Meadowlands? The original? The no, 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 The The Matt Dodge. Matt Dodge, if you see this, I'll never forgive you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Matt Dodge, we, we, we're, if, if I find you, we're, you know, 
yeah. might be the end of it. But anyway, no, I, I want to say, you know, I did respect, though, the Eagles fans, the passion that they have for the team. And I think per capita, Philadelphia is probably the most passionate fan base uh, in football. I mean, you could argue Green Bay because they own it, but that's that's just completely different. Yeah. Um, and I just respect the Eagles. The one thing you guys also have is a team that the Giants don't have. Now you have a championship, but it, you also have consistency. I don't think you guys stoop into really bad years as much as the Giants do. Uh, and, and you do, you, you recover real quick. Yeah, I, and that's true. And and, I, and there's been different reasons for it along the way. But prior to the Super Bowl year, the end of the Chip Kelly era, that was like a disaster. The Chip yeah. Kelly era, that was a good time for me. Yeah, that was all right. The last year for Reed, too, 2012, that was last good. Last year for Reed, and as you see, like – Everybody had just tuned out at that point. Reed had been there for 11 years. All of his assistants were gone. The assistants, the assistants were gone. It was kind of running on autopilot, and it yep. fell apart. Chip Kelly alienated everybody in sight and everyone in sight, and so he kind of – made the playoffs. That first year, they went 10-6. Like, what the heck? I thought they were going to suck. And then they did right. the next year. But everyone oh, figured, look, 10-6 again, but they didn't make the playoffs. Everyone figured out all six plays he was running. <laughs> <laughs> it was just bang 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 six plays in succession it took a couple of months and it's like wait that's all he's doing and it, it fell apart from there and inside the locker room it was getting weird so he comes out peterson comes in and restores order in the way that jacksonville's hoping he's going to restore order by going right. in being sort of like the sitcom dad for everybody and it's like oh there was you know the, the, there was some crazy stuff going on before but now we're going to be professionals um and then even 2020 was a was a mess was carson Wentz fell apart now I'll say this when, when the locker room gets really salty and weird and, and, and negative in Philadelphia, I think Jeffrey Lurie, who I don't think he's the best owner by any stretch of imagination. He's a meddler who pretends he's not meddling, et cetera. He'll sounds, go, like, sounds like John Mara, the meddler who pretends like he doesn't. Yes, that is him. Person. At least Jerry Jones says, hello, everyone. I am meddling. I have five. Yeah, yeah. Not everything. Not hiding from it. Not hiding from it. Mara is a meddler. Lurie's a meddler. Yeah. He'll go in, he'll take the parts out that aren't working, and that included Carson Wentz, that included Chip Kelly, Peterson at times, put somebody in who's going to like sort of restore order. And Nick Sirianni is not like a coaching genius in terms of strategy and things like that, but the players immediately respond to him, and everybody got positive again. And Jalen Hurts, who is not the best downfield passer in the world by any means, everybody responds to him, and everyone's feeling good again. And they they kind of turn that into like relative success, like what we saw last year. So yeah, it is that it is a, it is the power of positivity, right? It is that yeah. attitude, it is that demeanor. You yeah. play a little bit harder. You play different on every play when you're mentally in a different place, as opposed to I don't want to be here. This sucks. <laughs> you know, I said this about you know James Bradbury a lot. I called him James Badbury all season. Because I saw how disengaged he was. He was extremely <laughs> disengaged. But can you blame him at times? No, because everything right. was so bad. Does he want to break his neck from certain plays? Probably no. not. So you're 12 uh, weeks in the season, you're playing. Yeah, like, I mean, you're yeah. playing. Yeah. Yeah. At that point. So it's, it's understandable. But, yeah, that, that absolutely makes a big difference. And something yeah. to watch out for between the Giants and Eagles is we stole that employee of yours, Brandon Brown. Um, <laughs> he's the assistant general manager That's now right. with, with that. So that'll be interesting what he brings over from that knowledge standpoint. He was instrumental in bringing over that left tackle, uh, that UDF was he seventh rounder or undrafted? Sorry, Malata, Malata, yeah, yeah, he was either a seventh rounder, he was seventh rounder. yeah. So Brandon Brown was apparently a big part of that. So right. that's the kind of eyeballs that we need to start actually fixing things. 
And that's good because you get a good mix and balance underneath Joe Sheen. You got guys from the Bills. You got guys coming yeah. in from other other programs. No more of this nonsense Giants way I keep hearing about because that's just losing for a decade. Oh, I don't want to hear about like that. Over, like the, how well spoken yeah. they are first, and then they draft guys that just have no talent, and then we lose. <laughs> to the Eagles twice a year. Although last, although Judge did finish yeah. 500 against the Eagles, that's a huge credit because we. I, I don't think Coughlin finished 500 against the Eagles. That 13 to 10 game last year was ridiculous. When the Eagles kept driving in the field goal range and going for it and not running when they go for it because it's like, well, we're the Eagles. We can run the ball the down. The Eagles lost first. that game. Giants did not win that let's, game. Yeah. Let's yeah. throw to Jalen Rager a few times. That was that great. Was, That's when uh, Hurts threw like 16 picks. Yeah, he threw a bunch of picks. In one game. Was, yeah, he just kept chucking it down. Out. And I was like, okay, no problem. Right. If only we ran the ball with the times to get there. The yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Well, look, Mike, I mean, the, the only reason I ask is my last question. Zane, you can ask anything after that. But what's one thing as an Eagles fan that you admired about the Giants? You don't have, if you don't have an answer, no worries. But always kind of curious to ask something like this. Well, well again, the Eagles fandom was probably on my wall. I've been covering the NFL nationally for yeah. like 15 years at this point. So it's a little bit like a legacy fandom. Sure, sure. I had a chance to cover the, the Giants in person. I was a beat writer for them for a few weeks in 2011 when they won the Super Bowl. And, you know, at that time, it, I was incredibly impressed by Tom Coughlin and the way he did business. And this was before the fall, so to speak. And it, there was a, it, it wasn't that goofy, weird drill sergeant Tom Coughlin. It was somebody who expected results and was as dedicated and serious, but was also very human. And I remember Chris Snee was on that team and Chris Snee was his son-in-law um, and, and, and how Eli operated. And how all of those guys operated, and that was a strike shortened uh, preseason, and it was a very strange time. They really that was, were. That was that was the one. If you remember, that was the Eli quote, right? Are you as good as Tom Brady? Are you in that same class? And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. When yeah. Eli was like, yeah, I think so, and everybody killed him for even saying that. Yeah. Was that you that asked, Mike? I wasn't me that asked it, but I think I was at that press conference, and he just kind of is it kind of how he said it. it's like, well, yeah, I have to consider myself an elite top five quarterback, which. Every quarterback has to say that. Your Tyrod right. Taylor has to say that because they, they won't be able to step on the field if they can't. Right. How, how can you have any other mentality in this business right. but to think you're the best? Otherwise, yeah, did that the next year, and he won the Super Bowl too. So it was like Eli did that in 2011, won the Super Bowl, and Flacco did it the next year. So I yeah. think what all quarterbacks just start doing is run up to a camera and say they're the best quarterback. <laughs> well, well, it was a big gotcha game in the, in, on the internet back then because you get them to say that, and then you'd run with it, and Florio would go nuts all over pro football talk. And, you know, whole careers were launched with that kind of nonsense. But Absolutely. But, it, you know, in a, in a tumultuous offseason where they had to throw the team together, the Eagles tried to do the dream team that year. That was the year gotcha. they brought in Vince Young and uh, 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 Dom Diasamoa. Yes. Oh, I thought the Eagles were going like 14-2 and two and winning the whole thing, man. Right. I had a turkey of a year. I loved it. And they put, laid egg on their face, and the Giants brought back the guys. They got O.C. happy with his contract or content. They brought all these those guys in. And they methodically put together a professional season and just kept getting better until they, you know, upset Tom Brady again in the Super Bowl. Yep. And the story, I hope one day we can live to see another story like that. The problem oh. is you just don't know what's going to happen. Yet. Knock on wood, I'm a believer in patterns. And the one thing we have is the Giants win the Super Bowl every decade. So hopefully at some point in this decade, we, right. get one, we get one more. Yeah, we're three years, we're, we're two years into this decade, right? So we got to get like that to go hope it's you know, 2023 or four, not 2029, but yeah. So Mike, I'll ask you one more question because again, I know you do a lot of uh, coverage. Um, uh, so give me your top player at for this draft, your top player at whatever positions you could think of. Now I know you've already said Tibbs and there's your 
defensive end or outside linebacker, right? However you want to play. It's more probably going to be an outside linebacker. Tibbs an edge. Tibbs an yeah, edge. So, so you give him your edge. You gave us uh, Iquanu at O-tackle, most likely, yes. right? That's your guy. G- yeah. Give me give me like your guard. Give me your safety. Give me your wideout. Give me your top guys, regardless of position. All right, guard is Kenyon Green. Center, we're going with Linda Baum. I know he's undersized. Best center prospect I've seen probably in my career doing this. We keep hearing this, but yet he's falling dramatically. Is it just yeah. size or something else? It's size. I know he's small, but what else is there? No center has been taken higher than like 12th in a draft since – 1963 since like Mick Tinglehoff or somebody like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I did. I did a whole tweet about that. The last one taken like outside of the top 12 or something was like 1970 something by the Browns, and he went like number three. Right, right. So it goes way back. So I think that's just it. And the size is a thing because he's in like the the bottom fifth percentile or whatever in terms of size. Uh, wide receiver, uh, I have Garrett Wilson of Ohio State number one. I think he's got Stephon Diggs level uh, talent. Tight end. I, I like uh, Greg McBride, Colorado State. He just – I mean, there's no there's no uh, Kyle Pitts in this class at tight end. I love McBride. I, I love the fact that he went Colorado State in uh, yards. Yeah, he can he can block. Uh, he's obviously – he can play deep. He can play short. He's just a, a tight end's tight end. Running back, I got Brees Hall out of Iowa State. I think that there's like a little bit of a Jonathan Taylor type of player in him. I covered Edge, Thibodeau. Defensive tackle, I simply love Jordan Davis out of Georgia. I think that he's uh, he's a Vita Vea type of player who's going to come in there and just be a disruptor, 40, 45 snaps a game. Traditional linebacker, I'm going to stick at Georgia and keep it simple with N'Kobe Dean. Um, he's a little undersized for the position, but he sticks his nose in the hole. He's a great blitzer, really great running, straight ahead, going after the ball in the backfield. Safety, Kyle Hamilton, Notre Dame, duh. So good, cornerback sauce Gardner. he's got the size got everything else a little grabby in coverage that's an easy thing to correct i'm not a huge derek stingley fan because i haven't seen him play very much i, I saw thank him play, you thank saw you him play that's, in 2019. that's what we've all been saying right the medicals it's, and where's the production for three years at this point to be a top yep. 10 guy it's just potential right if i haven't seen you in the year of COVID, i haven't seen you you're a different human now i'm you a different human now we all are uh and i guess you're gonna make me pick a quarterback and i guess I'm going to say Malik Willis because of the potential upside there. I'm not a huge Kenny Pickett fan. I think Desmond Ritter might be the more um, uh, sort of game-ready quarterback with a lower upside, lower ceiling. Willis yep. has that high ceiling, but he's also got that low floor. Right. The rest of the guys, we've kind of seen their potential, I feel like. But in, in any event, we, we have come to time. Yeah. Mike, we want to thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. We know that you will be Absolutely. in Las Vegas next week for the uh, NFL Draft. <laughs> And, and we look forward to your content, your tweets that come out. Uh, yeah, and you know, tell, us, tell, tell us again, uh, tell us your handle at Twitter, so whoever yes. can. And then tell us more about the website and what you guys do you can, at Football you Outsiders. Find me at Football Outsiders. It is the premier and the oldest OG analytics site on the web. We are the home of DVOA. You can find an unbelievable treasure trove of analytics, statistics, projections, things you can use in your fantasy team, things that you can use to – Gamble 100% legally here in the state of New Jersey and the state of New York, and I'm not sure about Pennsylvania. Okay, so it's football outsiders. What about Illinois? That's where I live now. Okay, Illinois does. That's right. All right, good. So footballoutsiders.com, analytics, and so much more. House of DVOA. I'm at Mike Tanier. That's at Mike T is in Tango A N is in Nancy I E R on Twitter. I'm there all the time. Draft night, you will probably find me on Twitter with Derek Clausen, who works for both Football Outsiders and Bleacher Report doing scouting and we're going to be breaking down every pick in the first round next Thursday night 
on Twitter and on Football Outside. Awesome. Well, we um, look Mike, forward to that. Mike, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. It was fun. Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to have you back, Mike. But in any event, go Giants. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Mike, thank you once more. Have a good evening. Take care.